Good morning. I'm reading from Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bed and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Just going to pray for Andy. Lord God, I just thank you for Andy, Lord. Thank you for his heart to serve you. Thank you for my brother. And uh, Lord, just the, the way that he is so faithful to you, bringing your word. Just anoint him again this morning. Let his words be your words. Anything of him, just fall away. Everything of you, just challenge us, transform us, and encourage us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. That's right. Good morning. Good morning. I want to thank you for a great welcome. It, it's been lovely, as it always is, coming back and seeing such lovely smiley faces and people coming up we have some we haven't seen for so long and just getting to meet some new people as well so thank you for that for that welcome um this is an interesting passage and and one perhaps you you may not have encountered certainly not spoken on before um it's kind of one that i i ended up getting led to because the kind of theologian in me kind of was reading a book and it kind of seemed to get skipped over. And that, and that bugged me. It was like, I kind of need to know why. I want to know why. Because every word of this book is so precious and, and there must be something. And, and it turned out it's a beautiful passage. It's, it's such a beautiful story. I can remember... Um, quite a few years back, being at, at a church and, and someone that I knew quite well, he was teetering with the idea of giving his life to Christ. And I can remember seeing him kind of leave and, and stood out the back and going and talking to him. He said, I, I, everything inside of me just wants to to take this step of commitment to give my life to Christ, but... I could never be like all those people in there. I'm just not up to their standard. I'm just not as good as them. I'm just not these shiny, happy people. And I was able to say to him, because I knew some of the people in there wouldn't have minded, see that guy over there? Well, he was this. See that lady over there? She was that. See, his face lit up. It's like, you mean they're just like me? And my heart really has been in this message because, as many of you know, I've got a rather checkered background and I've met some kind of adversity to not just me, but 
what I stand for or because who is the kingdom of God for? And who is welcome in the kingdom of God? And as a church, are we inadvertently putting up barriers or things in the way that then say, well, yeah, you are welcome in the kingdom of God, but only if you do X, Y, or Z. And this passage is, is a very powerful one. And we need to kind of go back a bit in, in our Bibles in a way, or if you've got a, a Bible app there, it's kind of helpful to, as usual, we're taking a chunk out of the middle of a book or out of the middle of a letter, and, and so we kind of need to put a bit of context on this. So if we go back a bit in Matthew to about Matthew 13, we, we get all these parables about the kingdom of God. We have the parable of the sower about how weeds get, um, sorry, how the corn gets um, sown and some grows and some doesn't grow. And then we get the parable of the weeds, how basically there's going to be... Um, good soil grown and good plants grow, but in that there's going to be weeds and there's going to be this separation of the weeds. And then we get the mustard seed and the yeast. And if I can get my fingers to work. This is why apps are good for people that don't shake. And then we get the parable of the, of the pearls and the hidden treasure, and the parable of the net, and they're all about separation or growth. They all come down to the fact that you're either in or you're out. There's no middle ground. There's good fish and there's bad fish. There's weeds or there's plants. And then we have this period where Jesus is teaching in and around Galilee to, to the Jews and to his people and face his rejection. And then the Pharisees kind of come and collar him and, and start having a go at him because they've noticed that his disciples kind of eat without washing their hands. And this is one of these passages you can throw back at your parents when you're young and go, says in the Bible you don't have to wash your hands before eating. But it's because for there is this whole ritual thing about, well, your disciples aren't keeping with the law. And therefore they're unclean. And Jesus kind of really has a go at the Pharisees. And if I can skip. He basically says, you hypocrites. Isaiah, so someone they hold in utter esteem. It couldn't be more offensive. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Religious leaders, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And if ever there was a time of... As a, as a leadership, as a great one to just go away and ponder those words and go, Lord, is this us? Because, man, this is hard-hitting. To even consider that would be heart-wrenching to think, is that me? Is that my church? And then the disciples go up to Jesus after and go, do you know you really offended those Pharisees? 
And then he even has a go at them and says, are you so dull as well? You're still not understanding it. So this idea of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, kind of isn't the scriptural Jesus we see. When he comes against falsehood, when he comes against false teaching, it's not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It's the Lion of Judah who roars because he doesn't stand for it. And then we, after all that stuff about uncleanliness and unworthiness, we get to this story or this account of this Canaanite woman. And we've already had the reading, so I'll skip by that, except to point out Tyre and Sidon, which are right up at the top of the map on the left, which is now modern-day sort of Lebanon and but higher up is Beirut. And so Jesus was around Galilee and he's moved off now into that area, about sort of 50 miles. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon where, well, when Jesus withdraws in the Bible, often it's to be alone, it's to be with God and if you compare the Mark version of this, Jesus even ducks into a house, as it were, to try and get some space. But this account comes on the back of a wider withdrawal as well. Jesus has just faced this sort of rejection from his own people in and around as he's been preaching and teaching. Rejection from his own people And these objections all the time from the Pharisees and the people around Galilee that have heard his message, they've seen his miracles, but they still haven't accepted him. And then we get the threats from Herod and the arresting and beheading of his beloved John the Baptist. And so we get this withdrawal into what would be called a Gentile area. And so just to be clear, we have this concept of you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. To them, Gentile was kind of the root word of of heathen, basically. But as usual, news has followed Jesus and people have tracked him down. And this Canaanite woman as it says from that vicinity, came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And Mark pinpoints it even more. He says she's Greek, she's Phoenician, and this is a truly pagan area, very Roman ports, full of temples, full of idolatry. And if you've only got to put into your Bible app about Sidon or Canaanites and and you'll see the full enmity from God, almost from Genesis. That these are a people that were, were against God. They were God's enemy. So that's one barrier in itself that this woman dare come. Secondly, she is a woman, obviously, but... That in itself, culturally, another barrier. And then she has a daughter who is basically demon-possessed, or again, they would have seen that as impure, another barrier. 
Plus, they're in a region which itself would have been seen as unclean because, well, we're not in our land. And you put all those together and you think, crumbs, this person is totally unacceptable for the kingdom of God in every which way. And she doesn't actually want anything for herself, but for her daughter. Her daughter is suffering. And Matthew kind of holds up this tension of a crowd, a loving God, his disciples, the religious teachers kind of ideology. And now this is real because it's not a parable about nets or about weeds or about yeast, but a real woman with a child who is suffering and broken. And we get these three kind of discourses, if you like, with, with Jesus. The first one, verse 23, Jesus doesn't say a word. This is as if he totally blanks her. And like all these accounts, we weren't there, we didn't hear it said, we have it in black and white text and we can surmise and we can weigh things up. But to my understanding, I believe Jesus uses this to, one, expose her faith. Some, some say it's like a series of, of almost like tests. But also to really challenge the disciples' feelings. He's always teaching the disciples. Their interpretation, their heads. Are you going to go by the letter of the law? Or the heart of the law, which Jesus summed up as, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Or are you going to be like the Pharisees who came or come with their loads and their accusations? Blind guides, Jesus called them. They'd lead people astray. They, they, they'd lead people and they both fall into a pit. See, Jesus asked blunt questions. He's just offended the Pharisees. And as I say, when it comes to life and death and dodgy teaching that denies people entry into the kingdom of God, Jesus speaks the truth because he is the truth. He cannot deny his character. He cannot deny himself. He is the truth and he is the way and he is trying to give people the life. And we never know why Jesus deals with people the way he does. Every person he deals with in Scripture, he deals with differently. And if I've, I'm sure if I was to ask you how, Jesus, how you met Jesus, how Jesus dealt with you, again, it, we'd all have a myriad of different stories and accounts. And hallelujah to that. Because we don't have a prescriptive God of da 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 He's an awesome God, way beyond our comprehension. But he knows you specifically. He knows you as a child. And so we don't know why one guy, he spits in the mud and puts it in his eye. And another, he just says, do you want to be well? Or we don't know the backstories. But Jesus knows the hearts. He knows that he is for them. And he wants them to have life.
And sadly, it's as though the disciples take Jesus' silence as rejection. So his disciples came and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. So if Jesus hadn't have been there, this whole account, one, it probably wouldn't have been here, but two, it never would have happened. This, this woman would have gone away, her daughter unhealed. And the whole gathering would have seen what they probably expected from the Jewish religious people, basically being treated like dogs. And here was a Gentile woman choosing to come at any cost to Jesus. As I said at the beginning, Sidon was well known for its pagan temples and right in the middle was one big one to the Greek god of healing. I don't know if she'd been there or not, but here she was choosing to come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and calling him Lord Son of David. That's a prophetic messianic title. And, and she's asking for mercy. Not assuming that it's her right, that, it's her, that she's entitled to it. No, she's asking. Head bowed with the prayer of the beggar, have mercy on me. And it kind of challenged me about how do I approach the King of Kings? She comes with humility, Lord, Son of David. I can remember when one of the churches that I, I was pastoring, I, I, I had a number of different students from different youth organizations, and one of the lads I had from, from Moorlands was saying that they'd been sent out to experience different churches' expression of, of, of faith and different to what they were used to. And it was a good learning experience. But he said they'd, they'd gone to a Greek, Greek Orthodox service and it had gone on for hours, literally hours and hours of this. No seats, standing there listening to this, I guess it was like chamber choral music, but very kind of high church and he said they were sort of sat in their little group of students after chatting away about, not really my cup of tea, you know, it's all really quite nice and all that, and, but not, not really for me. And as he said that, he, he related to me how the priest literally walked up behind him and said, what on earth gave you the idea that any of this was for you? And you think, who is our worship for? Who have we made our worship for? How often do we say, oh, do you know the, those old ones? Those new ones? They keep going on and on, same thing, or the old ones keep going on and on about oh, things I don't understand, or, you know. Who is our worship for? How do we approach Jesus? Are there those we somehow prevent or that we feel are unworthy to be in Jesus' presence, to access our Lord, our Saviour, as if somehow we possess him? It's conditional. 
How does this woman react to Jesus' silence? Her concern for a child was so strong. Her faith, her belief in Jesus' compassion and his divinity. He'd done it before. If you look back in the early chapters, you'll see he'd been to this area before and he'd healed people. And Jesus, he basically calls out the disciples' true hearts. They would have dismissed her. They would have sent her away. Because she was unworthy. She was getting in the way. Just like they would have sent away the children and various other people along the way. And they saw her almost as unworthy as the Pharisees had seen them for not washing their hands. And then we get this second of Jesus' replies in verse 24. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And that was Jesus' mandate. It's there in Scripture, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul, Paul writes about that. God's chosen people. But Jesus himself said it's not an exclusivity. In John 10, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for my sheep. But I also have, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. See, the vast majority of those within Israel who were privileged enough to see him and witness his teaching and miracles basically had rejected him. Some even wanted him dead or thought he was this deluded, demonic-possessed guy playing God. And Jesus is challenging the, the disciples as he did the Pharisees, exposing their theology and how it translates with someone who desperately needs a touch from God. Shall I send her away? Because these are the guys that he was leaving as the kingdom ambassadors. A torch which we now hold. I can remember when, when we were in, in Sherbourne, I, I was invited as one of the sort of local church leaders to a... a it was sort of headed up by, by the local canon and... He asked me to come and, and share my story, and it was about criminal reform and how we could play a part in, in this sort of restoration and, and criminal reform. And they asked for a few views on the floor, and before we'd even started, this guy kind of went, oh, string them all up, hang them all, they shouldn't, anyone who's done anything, lock them up, bang them away, and I think, crumbs, you've got to hear my story in a minute, you're going to be a bit... <laughs> You're going to be a bit shocked when you find out the guy who runs that church and you, you know. But he pinned his colours to the mast and you think, and, and you represent Jesus Christ, lover of sinners? This woman comes with belief. The parables, you see, they talk of this separation of, of the saved 
and the unsaved, but also the growth from the smallest. The mustard seed is, is about the growth of the, the kingdom, as is the yeast, the smallest part, but it grows and it keeps spreading out. And so when people keep saying, oh, the church is going to die, the church is dying out, that's rubbish. Jesus has already said, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. It will keep growing. The real church is infallible because Jesus Christ is infallible. She comes with this great belief to the kingdom of God. It's for the many. And here is this woman declaring, I know how loving, compassionate and great you are. And regardless of who I am or how undeserving I am, I know that one crumb from you, anything from you would be utterly life-changing. And so with this complete abandon, whatever the cost, she kind of throws herself at Jesus' feet. I know who I am, but I know who you are. That's worship. And Jesus declared, look, I've come, I haven't come to erase the law. It's, it's not that he's having to go at the Pharisees because they're using the law of God or honoring the law of God. It's because they're twisting it. For their benefit, to get what they want. And when it stands in their way, they, they would then kind of tweak it a bit till it kind of worked. See, people were flocking to Jesus. That's what they couldn't understand. What, Jesus was like a magnet for, for all these people that society just didn't want to touch. Is that still us? Our faith should drive us, should move us to the law, and but that law should we should love the law of God as an expression of like a love letter, not as a rule, 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 rule. But as I love you, I want the best for you, so I've given this to you to give you the best. And Jesus is the expression of that. And it's what the, Jesus has been basically been saying since Eden, through the judges, through the kings, through the prophets. And one of the parables talks about the vineyard. And now I'm even having to send my son to tell you how much you are loved and to try and save you. The kingdom is bigger than you, but you're invited. You're invited. And then we get to this third discourse, which some people have struggled with, and he replied, verse 26, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And again, we have this kind of idea that it's first to Israel, first to the Jews, sorry, then to the Gentiles. And if you take Mark's version, it, it appears even more offensive because it says, take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And again, in these two books, 
the, dog, the word dog here is slightly different to the rest of Scripture. These are, these are like pet dogs or, or smaller dogs, which doesn't make it less offensive. But what's interesting is she corrects Jesus. No, you don't correct Jesus and then he doesn't reply. He, you can almost tell this, this thing going on between her and Jesus. She says, yes, it is, Lord. Yes, it is. And Jesus, he, he agrees. And in Mark, it talks about giving it first which implies there's a second. It's strong language, but it's calling out. This woman's faith is stronger than that. Jesus can't send her away. She knows what Jesus has. Like David dancing with abandon before the Lord. I know who I am. And I know these lot may see me as that or this, but you, Jesus, I know are different. And so she comes with hope. We don't know what she's been through in life, how her daughter ended up where she did. But here was a Gentile woman wanting to share in the benefits of the Messiah, of that which was yet to happen. And I hope I can get across it in, in some way how freeing this actually is because we come to one so holy and so mighty and so huge and we are so small and unworthy, not because we are rubbish and worthless, because we are, read Psalm 139, we are beautifully created in his image, we are wonderfully made, we are so small because he is so enormous. He is so enormous. He is so big. And totally for you. And so we are cut off from God, not because we weren't created right or whatever, but through the true uncleanliness, which is the sin and the rebellion which we chose. As Jesus said, that's what makes you unclean, not what you eat or what you wash your hands or not or any of that. It's your choice to go your way, not God's way. And so we are all outside the kingdom of God until we ask, like this woman, by faith for God to save us. And we are privileged, as Jim was just saying about being grafted in. We've become part of that true Israel. which the disciples always found so hard to grasp. It was beyond their world. But this woman sees Jesus as Messiah, son of David. So she's asking for that which has not yet happened. It's incredible. As though the Holy Spirit has given her that insight. But like when Peter says, Who, I, I think you're the Lord, the Christ. And he says, the Spirit's revealed that to you. 
This woman sees Jesus as Messiah, the one who would die and rise again to bring all people who wanted eternal, eternal, unmovable hope, true life and freedom. But if we can be honest with ourselves, we're kind of used to an entitlement here in this, in the West. I, I, I think it's almost like we there's a sense of deservedness. Is that a word? Deservedness it is to me. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Anyway, it's like well, yeah, of course, we, Jesus should, you know. But let's wonder at the master's table. Life from Jesus is by invitation to everyone. To accept that Jesus paid for it all with his life and his resurrection. And he invites this woman that man would have rejected like a dog to come and receive for herself and for her daughter. To be brought from outside into the kingdom of God. She came for a daughter and ended up being made a daughter. Being accepted, not just to crumbs, but to sit at the master's table. Like we have been invited, if we know Jesus Christ. He brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. You're not just a Christian, you... <laughs> You, you are an heir. You're a child of God. You get to sit at the master's table. You get invited to the full banquet. Or read the prodigal son. You get the ring. You get the, you get the hug. You get the cloak. You get the lot. It's your inheritance. But we should never stand in the way and Scripture warns that as well. We should never stand in the way of others receiving that. And Jesus says to a woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I was in no different position from this woman. Who, who am I? to receive such blessing, such life, such healing from the King of Kings, from God. And perhaps some of us need to, to bow down in humility. Perhaps other of us, others of us need to stand up and accept just how precious we are. And accept we are invited. Because the love of God will never let you go. And I can testify to that because of a, an incident that happened. I was living in a hostel and I didn't just dislike church and God. I hated church and God because I kind of felt it had robbed me of everything. And but I was living in a hostel and my roommate was a Christian and I was... He said, oh, come along to this baptism. I think it was at a King's Church at the end of Allington Lane. I think it was like a school. And I, I'm not going in the church. He's like, there's food. 
It's like, oh, all right, I'll come. <laughs> it's like, it's so easily, you know. But this guy was speaking, and there were people at the front having ministry and, and stuff. And he walked up to me and he said, the love of God will never let you go. And everything inside of me rose up. Your God doesn't have me. How dare you even... No, no, I didn't say it out loud. This is what was happening inside. I did contain myself enough. But how dare... The audacity. I don't even like your God and now you're telling me he won't let me go. Well, here's the living proof of that. I don't know, 20 odd... I'm probably a bit older than that. 20 plus years old now and the truth of that has been lived out. He has never let me go. Even when I thought I was trying to get away or couldn't cope anymore, you find out you're not hanging on to him. He's hanging on to you. And he will never let you go because he is so big. He is so mighty. And you're held in the palm of his hand. And you can take comfort in that. But we want others in there. I want my kids in there. I want others that I know suffering so much to receive what I've received. Because yes, the reality of this passage may seem tough language, but in a way, read Revelation 22 is even tougher. And this is what Jesus is saying to the churches. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, and these are the full big dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, so it's Jesus speaking, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David. You see, this testimony that this woman calls him, son of David. And the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride, say, come. Come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift there isn't a cost. And so don't let people put a cost on you. Don't let the church put a cost on you because there is no cost. The gift of life through Jesus Christ is free. Come and receive the gift of the water of life. This woman comes worshipping and she leaves whole. She bows, she seeks mercy she seeks healing. And she comes in need, she comes in humility, and she comes determined. And Jesus speaks, he says, woman, you have great faith. What an accolade. I think there's only two people in, in Scripture that Jesus says that to. They're both Gentiles. The other one's the centurion. Great faith. I don't know where it sits in your Bible, but literally... On the opposing side of mine, it's, Jesus is just telling the disciples, you have little faith, why did you doubt? 
And here he is on the next page telling this woman, you have great faith. We can be very quick to judge. Woman, you have great faith. Do you feel unworthy? Out of place? Perhaps you're watching online because you don't feel you can come into this place because you're not up to scratch or we've all got backstories, we've all got sins, we're all in a place where none of us deserve what we've received from God. Jesus is the one who saves nothing we do. You know, you want to talk about unclean, Jesus hung on a tree, which they would say means that you're cursed. As a convicted criminal, as a blasphemer, hated, despised, bleeding just about every unclean defilement that the Son of God went through, so that lady's daughter got her crumb, so that I got life, so that you can have life. And I want to challenge you and that as us, as a church, because that's us, the people. Have we opened the doors? And I mean these doors in our hearts. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to put little things. It doesn't have to be big things. It, it can just so much as a friendly word or, you know, just being open, welcoming. Are we prepared to go outside our comfort zone? The disciples must have been, I, I can't imagine what they went through going into these Gentile areas after growing up, having their teaching and suddenly being in these areas where everything around them and then there was this unclean woman and an unclean place and unclean and Jesus is going, yeah, you know, what shall I do? And I go, send her away, send her away. And she's going, no, the kingdom is for her too. It's so easy, it would be so much easier just, just to stay in our nice, cosy building and say, just come, people come to us. Jesus wasn't going there to do the missional, but he was always available to. And people were always crying out, and just like, don't bother him, don't bother him. And he was like, no, I have time. I have time, and he has time for you. Jesus is there for you, not just an elite special few that are good enough. Because no one's good enough in that sense. We all need Jesus. Nothing we do will ever be good enough to pay the price to bridge that gap. And finally, never stop coming to Jesus especially in the way this woman did. Because it gives us great encouragement too, never to stop bringing our loved ones to Jesus. I know some of my family prayed for years, some of my friends sort of thought I was untouchable in terms of the kingdom. That I'd never accept. 
But when it came down to it, when Jesus came and found me, it was a no-brainer. It's not like I had a choice. It's just so stunningly beautiful and amazing that the Son of God would come and go, here, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. But I also know how much you're hurting, how much you want more out of life, how much you feel unfulfilled. Well, I want to give you life in all its fullness, pushed down and overflowing. And yes, it doesn't mean better roses and all that. And I, I know in recent years it's been tough. Some days getting up and going, where's the joy in this? Well, the joy is that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I am held solid in the palm of his hand. Are you a child of God? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Don't stop asking. Don't stop coming and bringing those you love to him. And I'll ask the band to come up and we'll leave it there.